Okay, we are live. This is the first time of 2021 for another episode of e-commerce on fire. I'm joined by Valentin Radu, who is the CEO of OmniConvert. Valentin, welcome to the show. Why don't you give everyone an introduction about yourself, your background, obviously now you're the CEO of OmniConvert, <clears throat> and tell us about how you got involved in e-commerce. Yeah, sure. I'm a, I'm a serial entrepreneur. Uh, I used to be a poor kid from Bucharest, Romania, but uh, I don't know, effort and uh, and uh, reading books actually pays off. So I've uh, became an uh, entrepreneur. I've built uh, the largest online insurance uh, e-commerce here in uh, in Romania. We I've made the exit uh, six years ago, seven years ago, eight years ago, 2021. Uh, after we turned out to do, to get something like uh, 14 million in uh, turnover and 250,000 customers. With the learnings for being an e from being an e-commerce entrepreneur, I founded OmniConvert, which was a technology to improve conversion rate. Uh, three years ago, we've decided to pivot and to address uh, another category around customer value optimization. And uh, we've empowered uh, hundreds of e-commerce e companies to, to improve their uh, customer lifetime value by doing uh, RFM segmentation and becoming uh, really data-driven. So now I'm uh, building OmniConvert. I'm, uh, I'm, I have 40 great uh, uh, colleagues and uh, we're trying to, uh, let's say, educate and uh, shift the attention of the e-commerce companies from acquisition towards customer lifetime value and uh, the whole life cycle of the customer. Sounds great. And obviously, I've I mentioned to you before we started this live, a lot of the content marketing you guys are doing has really hit the mark and turned a lot of heads, I think, especially with the growing acknowledgement that we can't just continuously go down the path of chasing acquisition. And now people are, as you said, starting to look at the lifetime value as that North Star metric. So let's talk a little bit about <clears throat> customer value optimization as well. Yep. Um, so you're very big on the lifetime value CAC ratio. Why is what is this, and why is it so important to an e-commerce business? Yeah, I will. I will start by uh, by focusing on uh, on the fact that uh, as an e-commerce entrepreneur, you have uh, <coughs> only three options with your with your company. You either do build it to to sell it eventually. So you build a company which is going to be a, the product. The ultimate product that you're gonna sell to 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 leverage your work. The second alternative would be to uh, to build it as a as a cash machine, right? Let's say as a cash cow, right? To to build it as a to 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 make it big and uh, to to leave it to your nephews and uh, like a, like a big empire. And uh, the other uh, alternative would be to simply make it as a lifestyle business for you. So instead of having a job, let's say you 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 sell I don't know pillows or whatever what you what you're selling on the internet. So you have only three options. Whatever option you took, you you will take. This is going to be important because the uh, the education towards how much you are getting from a customer for the total lifespan of that customer, and how much you are investing to acquire that customer, is not there because nobody's interested in, uh, in educating the market towards that. The importance of this ratio <laughs> is crucial because it can make you or break you, your business, right? So 
so I've seen, I've, uh, I've had the pleasure, or it's not really a pleasure, but I've assisted at uh, at at someone's uh, uh, at the at, at seeing a company grow fantastically and and then simply falling into oblivion. So it yeah. was back in 2015. It was a, a company called B Fashion. They 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 grew really rapidly in two years. They 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 got to 11 million uh, euro in turnover. They got outside capital to grow, but at some point they've reached the, uh, a plateau, and the customer acquisition cost was too too hard to bear, and their customer retention wasn't there to justify it. Even though they've expanded in something like eight or nine countries, they couldn't keep up with acquiring new customer because at some moment if you invest a lot in acquiring customers but they never turn back they never come back uh, you you don't see this in the pnl you don't see it in google analytics and most of the entrepreneurs are being guided by those two instruments mm -hmm. while the clv is something that is going to pay back in the future and that's why you are making these investments so the ratio between the clv and cac is the one that shows you if the healthy if you have a healthy grow or not and usually this ratio should be uh, more than two preferably three of course there are companies like amazon that kept the profit postponed the profitability because the yeah. let's say the the beauty of entrepreneurship is that you are selling dreams to customers to partners to colleagues and to investors and you say eventually will be profitable and the the, the let's say the magic or the art of Jeff Bezos was to always postpone profitability like 20 years they've postponed that but they could justify this <laughs> by the fact that they've got outside capital to fuel the growth and to justify such a, a low low CLV to CAC ratio because their game was to acquire market share but not all the entrepreneurs could do this but if you're consciously uh, keeping the balance so low that means you have external capital and you know what you're doing. But if you don't measure, you can't improve it. That's an interesting point, actually, because I think we're at that reckoning point now where a lot of people are considering whether it's sustainable, um, especially the, the top line revenue and obviously taking into account the profits. Is there any instances where, like Amazon, for example, you think it makes sense to maybe not necessarily have this ratio where ideally where you would expect it to be in line because you're looking to increase market share would there ever be a, a circumstance where you would recommend being more aggressive yeah if uh, if it's not about market share it's about the the timing let's say you you wanna you wanna be uh, fast in the market and you're consciously uh, let's say uh, losing money because that's all about if your CLV versus CAC ratio is uh, is too low, that means you are losing money. Uh, other circumstances, I mean, uh, you you might say that if you're selling wedding rings, that's not so important, but it actually is because yeah. you pay money on advertising or in the demand generation, let's say, not advertising because uh, another, let's say, bias of uh, of of the e-commerce uh, managers or entrepreneurs is that uh, acquiring customers is what they do but it's not what they do what they do is they invest 
money into make generating demand, not acquiring customers, but generating customers. And there are all sorts of ways to generate customers. And uh, uh, what I what I think is important is that CLV over CAC is important uh, to 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 look no matter if you're selling beverages like fast moving consumer goods or you're selling uh, whiteies no matter yeah. what you're selling no matter the buying cycle you need to keep this balance you you need to keep an eye on this uh, this ratio well that's an interesting point actually do you recommend say for example let's take a mattress or sofa company is this ratio more important to them compared to a fast moving consumer goods company who may say, okay, in the future, we'll become more profitable because we're buying so many customers. Yeah, that's that's the game, you know, because <clears throat> what I'm, uh, I'm, I'm a strong believer into using math into uh, forecasting the future. So if you don't have clear objectives, which are aligned with your generating, with your growth generating factors, you are just shooting in the dark. Right, yeah. you need to do the 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 you need to to do a, a mathematical modeling for your business, and that means you need to to take into account some assumptions when you're when you're starting a new business. You have some assumptions that you're gonna acquire X customer with X, with this cost, and you're gonna get this profit. But what you're assuming is that the CLV is going to be such and such because you have the purchase frequency as well, yeah. and the customer acquisition cost is going to be such and such. Even though you are not monitoring that, those ratios are there. It's like the numbers that are happening without you being aware of them. But you need to be data uh, informed in order to be data driven. So first you need to find out that there, there are some things like in the body, right? You might not feel uh, that you're gonna uh, be ill in the future, but if you're gonna do some analysis, some blood analysis, whatever, the marks are there, the signs are there. So what we are proposing is look at the marks before the patient is dying. Yep, I like it. Makes perfect sense, absolutely. Let's turn our attention to the net score and how to apply it to e-commerce. So tell us a little bit about this concept. This was new to me. I actually discovered it reading your blog. Uh, yeah. But found it very, very interesting. And I've got a few questions on how to apply it as well to your business. So give us an overview of what the net promoter score is and why it's important. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so the NPS, the net promoter score has been used by uh, uh, the first of all, by the big companies so that they can see the future. It was the single, uh, the, one of the, 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 the single uh, KPIs, let's say, uh, metrics that showed how the future is going to look analyzing the customer voice so uh, simply said the nps is the score of uh, how many promoters does your company has versus how many detractors your company has so you ask them what are the chances for uh, for you to uh, recommend us to a friend or colleague or relative in the future and if they they give you a score from zero to ten uh, based on that, if they give you 9 or 10, they are the promoters. If they are giving you 0 to 6, they are the detractors. If they are giving you 7 or 8, yep. these are passives. 
So if you subtract the uh, the percent from the percentage of promoters, the percentage of the detractors, that's this is your NPS, right? So that could be 60, 20, minus 20. So the banks, for instance, they have uh, a negative NPS and it's common to do it. So because these are bastards and everyone knows that, and <laughs> what you do as a bank, you're not gonna uh, look good in the in the eyes of the customers, right? However, the trend of the NPS, so when you have enough data, when you have a, a, an, enough feedback, you can see if the number of promoters is going up or down. So if the NPS is going is trending up, that means the customers will recommend you. And that means your, uh, let's say, growth is going to be there because the demand generation is not going to be fueled only by, the, by acquiring customers, but also based on the uh, word of mouth of your current customer base. So your customers are so satisfied that they will recommend you in the future. The problem with the NPS, because it, the, the, uh, the, there are two faces for every coin. So the problem with the NPS is it, it, because it's an average and not all the average is showing you the, the reality. There are yeah. some moments when you have, I don't know, a lot of promoters and a lot of detractors and maybe you 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 feel that it's okay because it's a positive NPS, but that means you need to look at the clusters of uh, of yeah. customers. So what we've done, for instance, in our technology and in our approach, was to segment the NPS by looking at the NPS from the power customers, which are the soulmates or the lovers, the ones that are pretty active. Their RFM score is high, so they buy over and over again for me. They have the habit formed to buy from me because those customers are not actually buying. They're picking products from you. It's like when you go to the supermarket, you don't decide again to buy a new yogurt. You buy the same freaking brand every time and you are picking yep. the yogurt and you're putting in your uh, shopping cart. So that's why it's important to segment the NPS and see the NPS by RFM group, to see the NPS by brand, to see the NPS by city or location, to see the anomalies of the NPS, yep. right? So it's like when you look in Google Analytics, you're interested to see the segments. You want to see the conversion rate for SEO, for organic traffic, for email, for paid ads, and so on. It's exactly the same with the NPS. So we've realized that, and now we are segmenting the NPS based on uh, location, based on the brand, the product, the category of products, and the uh, segment group so that you can see anomalies. We even have a customer, one of the early adopters of uh, Reveal, which is now giving bonuses to the customer service based on their NPS score because they now can see the NPS for each rep that they have. Wow. And if you have a rep which is the best, then you understand, okay, what is this guy doing that I can replicate so that I can teach the other customer reps? Why is this guy having 92 in NPS? And this girl uh, has 68 on NPS because yeah. that means she's doing, he's doing something different. Yeah, I'm going to ask you on actually on practical ways to apply this because I think one of the problems with having so much interest in data is that you become overwhelmed with it and get into that state of analysis paralysis where you don't know how to interpret and do something pragmatic with it. So how is the, how do you collect this score? I assume it's by a survey. Is this done after people purchase immediately or when they've received the product? Because I imagine it'll be vastly different. Well, not mm -hmm. necessarily as long as the shipping time is good, maybe. 
when do you recommend the best time to send this survey and is it done via survey? Mm -hmm. Yeah, we, we actually recommend to do it pre-delivery and post-delivery. Okay, twice. So we, we, have this, uh, we have this approach to look at the delta between the NPS. Yeah. When you've, when you've uh, decided to buy a product, you haven't bought the product itself. You bought the promise of having a product. Yeah sometime in e-commerce is like tomorrow yeah. or in two weeks or in one week so it's a different story when you look of, of the on the promise that the website is doing and what is the experience the user experience and then you see the custom the actual customer experience after the shipment has been done and after the product has been used so the delta shows the expectations gap yeah interesting how to use it in e-commerce is like you trigger alerts to your customer service when you have a, a, a very important customer that gives you a zero score then you have a problem you want to retain that customer which has a clv which can be at times even 100 times higher than for the new customers so when you segment customers you can see that you you can't miss on the best ca uh, customers that you have because they are the ones which are uh, making pro your company profitable yeah out of curiosity because i can only speak for what we do personally we uh, th there's so many objectives in that post-purchase window sometimes like we for example would recommend going with a cross sell upsell uh, yeah. we've got people who recommend to trigger an email to get the user to create an account because that increases the lifetime value. Yeah. Um, you've got generic like migrate to social emails. Is the, Does it overwhelm people to send them like an additional touch point to ask them to do this? And where would you recommend this comes into it in terms of priority? Because let's say for example, you offer an upsell slash cross sell, then a survey and then ask someone to create an account. Is there a chance that they may only do one of these and ignore the others? Yeah, I think it's uh, what it's important here uh, to do. It's uh, to to understand the, the to understand the concept of uh, uh, customer journey. So the customer journey usually it's uh, something that the companies are not consciously designing. Mm -hmm. But in the era where the customer is the king, because there are a lot of alternatives that he can find to buy the same product from you or from another 25 competitors of yours or 200 competitors, you can't miss on the customer experience. So your first objective would be to validate that you're doing a good job. That's, yeah. my, that's my opinion. So if your objective would be to upsell, that means you don't care about the customer. So imagine that you had a, 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 a bad experience on ASOS, for instance. Yeah, my 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 daughter bought something from ASOS, and then she 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 wanted to to return that thing, but all she got was a blast of emails, a sequence of emails. She she was waiting for a return. Her her product was a mess, but she got a lot of emails from the same brand stating that hey here's a discount for you buy again from us whatever so when you have this like a like a schizoid approach right when the same company says on one channel buy again and on another channel wait for two weeks for your money to be in your account then you have a problem yeah so That's, yeah it's very interesting how to like i said use that data in a practical way before um so so on the mps score let's say you have a positive one or you identify a negative cohort how do you apply this in a pragmatic way it's like 
let's say for example people have a very you identify people really love the company it has a great score how can you then take that data and use it to increase lifetime value even more uh so there are we've identified a lot of ways to to uh to improve the customer lifetime value uh now there are two two kind of approaches to improve the clv one is to simply have projects and to fix the system itself so you as an e-commerce uh, entrepreneur owner whatever what you're building is a system so you're not building uh you're not doing campaigns you're not uh, blasting uh, products to thousands of people what you're doing is a system that should work without your intervention as an entrepreneur so uh, an autonomous system that uh, has a lot of sets of rules and procedures and processes. So one way would be to simply fix the system, yeah? yeah. To, to look at the problem and to fix the systems. Another, another alternative would be to have special uh, campaigns or to, 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 to tweak precise uh, nevralgic points, right? So fragile yeah. points or inflection points where you should interfere. Interfere. So our uh, my approach in a practical manner would be to first understand where is the problem, where is the bigger problem, and yeah. to do that you need you need to look at all this data so that you you can't do everything at the same time. Even the big huge corporate companies can't do everything at the same time, even though they have resources. And that means you need to, if, if there's a fire in your uh, flat, for instance, you need to find the source of that fire. In order to find the source of that fire, you need to look at the data. So without asking your customers, without having, to, do we have, without having the customer voice to understand what's bothering them, what keeps them from returning, you can't fix the first thing. Yeah? yeah. Because the idea is to prioritize. You could do a lot of things. You could do cohort analysis. You can do NPS. You could do qualitative service. You could do jobs to be done to understand why the customers buy those products that you're selling. You, you can do a lot of stuff. But what I suggest is the first thing is to, A, fix the mentality of the e-commerce entrepreneur. That's the first step, no matter what. So if, you, if you're entrepreneur, if the entrepreneur, if the head of the company is not aware about the CLV CAC balance, uh, about being customer centric and it's, uh, I don't know, order centric or traffic or vanity metrics centric, you can't fix that. So it's, uh, uh, that's why we are not even considering to work with companies that have has entrepreneurs which uh, are looking to improve the retention rate 25% uh, in one month because it's, there are a lot of factors which are affecting that. Yeah. So first thing would be to, to understand the customer voice and where is the problem? What keeps customers from coming back and buy, buying again from you? Because the purchase frequency, <laughs> if it's so low, but you're, you're selling a product or you're selling a lot of products that could be uh, uh, bought afterwards, then you have a problem with the retention, but yep. do you have a problem with the products, which are uh, having a poor quality or you have a problem with the services there those two could be the 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 main problems so if it's a product problem then it's a huge problem that means you need to change the supply chain you need to change the change the vendors you have another problems than fixing the conversion rate or traffic so that's yeah. why 
you need to understand where is the problem where is the fire in the, in your flat is in the kitchen is in the living room is in the yeah. dorm because you you it's crazy how many people are tweaking facebook ad campaigns but their customers are pissed off on twitter on facebook and they are saying like what a crap they promised me this and you've done that so that's why i would start with customer research and then if you find that your problem is not the product itself because people are pleased with the problem with the product and they are not pleased with the customer experience with the touch points with all the all the process all the post purchase process then you need to, to do the customer journey mapping and understand where is the most impactful thing that what is the most impactful thing that you you could do so that's how you use this kind of data in a practical way so that's also why it's important obviously like you said to ask after they just purchase and then when they receive the products because that'll show you where you have significant area you need to improve yes. out of curiosity just to touch on um the score maybe that might be different after somebody receives the product. We worked with, I can't say the name, a big company earlier last year, and the data science team found out that if a customer received a product within, I believe it was two days compared to uh, three to four days with expedited shipping, the lifetime value of that customer was so much higher to the point where the brand actually made it <clears throat> a key thing to lower the uh, shipping thresholds because they realized using the data that they would win this back over the long term. Is there any quick wins, like any correlating factors uh, that you've seen with an enhanced NPS score due to things like this? And if so, what are they and how would you implement them? Yeah, there are some tweaks. For instance, uh, the time to first response. Yeah. So how fast, not how fast you are solving the problem, but how fast you are, you are giving any kind of response which is not freaking automated like we've got your uh, question <laughs> for us. so yeah. time to code response is really crucial to improve the nps another uh, crucial uh, thing is to make them make your customers feel like you care about them for instance like uh, uh, a research from nielsen i think it is it showed that 68 percent of the customers which are leaving a company they leave it because because they feel that the company doesn't care about them so they don't migrate to a new competitor for a better price for whatever they might they they leave they abandon the company because they feel that like you don't care about them so another uh, important uh, important aspect is that if you show that you care for your customers and that's copywriting folks it's just copy right so just content how you talk to your customers because it's that cognitive bias the framing yeah how you frame the reality affects the reality itself so yeah. i might sell the same glass but i i can sell it like there's a glass or i can sell it like water will never be the same because of the components of this uh, freaking uh, glass water is being affected and uh, you're gonna feel better and whatever so at the end of the day, it's the same glass. It's how am I selling it to you? So yeah. if you can show that you care about your customers and what you're selling is uh, is the progress that they want in, your, in their lives, then you have a lifetime customer. Otherwise, you just, let's say, shipping products from A to B. And that means you're going to fall into oblivion at some point yeah. in, in the future. 
yeah, you're going to crash and burn, definitely. That's very interesting because it, it you hear a lot these days in marketing about empathy and being customer-centric, almost to the point where they became buzzwords. But that just goes to show that it's backed up by the data and having a fast response time. Very basic things like caring about the customer and being responsive go a long way to um, increasing the lifetime value over the long term. Yeah. We're going to end on some um, quick fire questions. So I'll open the floor up in case anyone's watching. What are some of the best ways to increase that repeat order rate that you found? Let's say, for example, for a fast moving consumer goods company. Yeah, the, the repeat purchase rate is being affected uh, about the quality of the product and the services as well. Mm -hmm. But there is a pattern for every every company. So, for instance, in fast-moving consumer goods, there's a there's a window of opportunity because you are consuming the product, yeah, and you might be or might might not be satisfied about it. However, you can forget about buying again that product, and eventually you need to form your habit to consume the same I don't know, uh, uh, let's say uh, beverage or. Uh, uh, food every every day or every week, right? Because, for instance, I'm consuming uh, a special honey, Manuka honey, right? And I can get it from 25 companies. I bought it like six months from a company that wasn't positioning properly to me because the product was was great, but they they've just tried to upsell on me, even though I haven't finished that product. So what is important yep. is to, to understand the buying cycle, when you can push yep. the customer to buy again, because otherwise you become annoying and all you all you want from me as a customer is money. So if all you want is money, I'm not gonna give it to you. If you want, let's say, if you show that you really care about me, then I can buy again. So one important aspect is the average days between the transactions. In fast moving consumer goods, 80% of the customers are not going to buy if there are around two months since their previous purchase. So yeah. if you wait for two months, you're not going to have a customer. Yeah. And the drop rate is different for any every company. Let's say if you sell bundle food or if you sell, uh, I don't know, beverages or coffee or tea, if what you're selling is packed in such a manner that it takes three weeks to consume it, then that means in the first three weeks, you don't want to push customers to buy again. You want customers to be convinced about how cool you are, how cool is the product, and the fact that you care about them. But when that time frame is gone, then you want to give them easy options to refill, to restock. Yep. So that's how you, you, you can improve the repeat purchase rate. If you say the right thing at the right time usually instead of that usually companies are doing email marketing campaigns and freaking remarketing campaigns which are so aggressive i've just bought yeah. from you let let me be on my instagram because i've just bought yesterday yeah, yeah. not saying something can be way better than saying a dumb thing yeah I completely agree. It's it's funny, actually. I have a video coming tomorrow. I just bought from JD Sports. I don't know if you know who they are. Big retailer in the UK, fashion retailer. I bought some gloves from them uh, last week. And in that time frame, I must have had close to 20 email campaigns. So just complete scattergun approach, you know, general 50% off, 
Um, they've even said, here's the best tip, um, clothes for you today, girl, even though I bought men's clothing items. No segmentation <laughs> at all. And it was just so relentless. It caused me to churn straight away, even though I like the experience on site, the likelihood of making a repeat order. Maybe I will, but not through email anyway, because I was so fast to unsubscribe. It's very interesting, though, what you've said about just showing the customer that you care about them and going in with timely reminders. Out of curiosity, have you seen any correlation between using content to nurture people as opposed to just asking someone to buy something? So let's use the example of the Manuka honey. Um, go in and talk a little bit about the quality of the ingredients, how it improves your immune health, as opposed yeah. to saying, buy, buy, buy again. Yeah, it's it's like a sales guy. At the end of the day, your brand has a has a voice. Your e-commerce has a voice, right? And you are selling some brands, so content uh, uh, truly helps. And we we've seen that, for instance, one of the first early adopters where they were buying tea, they were yeah. selling tea, right? And they they they've just had this uh, abandoned cart campaigns and then uh, emails with the five ten percent, and then that's it. They were doing this kind of campaigns every now and then, like. Here's the stock that we want to get rid of, and it's 25% if you take if you want to take it. And they've they've identified their RFM segments, which are churning. Every every company, every e-commerce has a group of incredible customers. All of them, no matter how big or small it. There are maybe there are six or twenty or two thousand of them or twenty thousand of them. But you need to understand who they are and. Based on what they how they verbalize their experience, that's the trick. Based on the research, based on the qualitative research, they will verbalize the the points of difference that they they see at you. Yeah, why they've bought? Why why do you like Manuka honey? Because X Y Z. But they will sell it. They will say it in such a manner which is common sense, which is easy easy to digest, which is not yeah. using this marketing word. Yeah, and with the, the that wording, you should follow up based on here's what the others are saying about the manuka honey. What's your opinion, by the way? Yeah. So, so, write a review if <laughs> if that's working or not. Or another way to 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 follow up with great content would be to simply not give them uh, an opportunity to say to to write a review, but give them. Uh, ways to change their lives because at some point you need to change your life. Let's say I'm 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 now drinking uh, maca, which is a thing from Peru or whatever, and yeah. I need to 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 do this uh, every morning, right? So I'm yeah. getting this powder, I'm putting it in uh, uh, ve ve vegan milk, and then I uh, put some honey and whatever. But it's a new habit, you know. I need to take that and put it there and tweak it and whatever. And some company. Uh, what they were doing because I was a power user for them. So I, so I bought like maybe 600 euros. They've sent me a, a, a freaking uh, blender, hand blender, you know, those uh, small things that you use yeah. to blend things together because they've seen that I've bought something that I'm, uh, that's going to be needed for me to change my habits. So they facilitated for me not to use the spoon in my hand to, to mix that powder. And that's a small thing. It was like, maybe it was six euro for them, but I bought six, 600 euro. And this over delivery, if you inject it in your customer journey, 
that's gonna do wonders for you because that's why I'm talking about it. It was a, you need to provide outstanding customer experience and always to to under promise and over deliver. If you respect this principle all the time, then you're gonna be winning at this game. I feel as though there's so many brands who understand they should be doing this, but they just don't know how to. They're just so conditioned to send offers of 10%, 15%, 20%. And yeah. they're, they're aware that they need to lead with more content and value, but they just don't know how to start. Or they're so used to doing the old way, they're terrified that the sales are going to drop if they stop. But it's quite interesting, speaking about when we take clients on board, we usually recommend doing more of a 60 um three percent 33 split of content to selling in the email campaigns and quite often the actual content campaigns sell more than any type of offer so they get so scared to share like a blog article or something that's genuinely going to benefit the customer in the email and oftentimes it, outpre it outperforms the uh, sales yeah. campaign so then obviously the then they become um, a convert but it's yeah it's it's something that i think is going to continue to grow and people are aware that they definitely should be doing. Let's talk about, uh, we haven't discussed actually best ways to increase conversion rates. I know we've been focused on um, acquiring customers and increasing the repeat purchase rate. But obviously OmniConvert offers a suite for in improving conversion rates as well. What are some of the quickest wins you found on increasing the conversion rate? Uh, yeah, one of the quickest ways is to simply uh, analyze the dropouts in the in, in the funnel so to see the nevralgic points in your uh, in your funnel another uh, important aspect are the surveys as well so you simply ask a lot of customers because you have a, a huge funnel a lot of people are uh, are just uh, window shoppers right they will come and go are in the awareness phase a lot of them are in the consideration phase so based on if you do surveys for each part of your funnel so that you can understand what's holding them back, then you will be able to change the copy or change the offer or whatever. So it, it, it's all the same. It's pretty much the same thing. You, you yeah. can't, uh, um, let's say, change things without having a strong hypothesis. And the problem with the conversion rate optimization is that a lot of companies are coming up with, hey, let's tweak uh, this uh, image or let's make it bigger or whatever. But if you ask your customers, maybe you, you can understand that, uh, for instance, you are selling medical devices for uh, elders and your font is freaking nine, but you change anything else but the font. But those people can't see it well, you know. What if you could do a simple tweak to ask them why, why, how's their experience on the website? And if 25 people will say, I can't read it, maybe it's the time to change the font. And this will, will bring a, a huge uplift. And it's a small tweak that you do, but you don't do it because you're not asking your, uh, your customers. So that's one of my favorite uh, ways to improve conversion. So usually it's the the uh, data that you can see in analytics or whatever and it's also the customer voice so yeah in qualitative research with the quantitative data usually allows you to to come up with outstanding hypotheses then it's it's a matter of uh, uh, let's say ongoing optimization so it's uh, in in CRO I think maybe 
three yeah. out of 10 experiments are winners. And that means you need 10 experiments to get to three winners. But if you do one experiment per, per month, it's going to get maybe yeah. you're not lucky and you're going to do seven months without having an experiment. And usually people are, are uh, not strong enough to, to get to the habit of uh, continuous testing. So much of it seems to go back to just asking the customer and yeah. finding out at the core the root cause rather than making any assumption. Yeah, that's uh, that's true. We're going to end on. Um, I know we talked about CAC, like customer acquisition cost. What are some effective strategies you found to lower this? Uh, focusing on the right customers. That's the first one. So understanding from where they are buying or on which channels, right? Analyzing yeah. CLV and understanding that maybe is the, the time to focus on uh, cities which have which don't have a shopping mall, for instance. That's, a, that's, a, that's an easy approach, right? Because yeah. if you focus your acquisition campaigns because you've seen that the CLV is higher for customers which are coming from these cities, that's an easy, easy way to lower the customer acquisition cost. Uh, another way is to do lookalike campaigns based on your best customers, right? So you 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 feed the the algorithms of Facebook or Google with your best customers, not with your average customers, right? That's yep. another that's another tweak because that means they will know what kind of customers are you looking yep. for, not for average, but for for the best uh, best customers. Uh, Another another thing to lower lower your uh, your CAC is to to end the advertising fatigue. So mainly you you if you don't turn campaigns off, never turn them off. That means you're always in front of the customers, but they need time to breathe in and breathe out from you. So maybe if you if you stop the campaigns, maybe you'll see some wonders. We've seen that happening at uh, uh, at, uh, at our campaigns, actually. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, pretty much that's uh, that's it from the top of my head that uh, at this moment for for CAC. And another thing to do to 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 lower it is to be aware about it. Yeah. You yeah. can't improve what you don't measure. Yeah. Out of curiosity, have you seen any particular channels, maybe for example SEO, that have been seem to be growing in terms of a low CAC in, in OmniConvert. Any data on that? Uh, we, we, we don't have enough data to, to, to say something uh, which is, uh, let's say, uh, uh, other than indicative, right? At yeah. this moment, there are, it's clear that email, the customers which are buying through email from uh, own, own channels are the best ones to, to, to have. So, yeah. Uh, paid uh, paid campaigns uh, are are not delivering uh, as well as people are uh, thinking that they are delivering. Because with that, with that in mind, it's so interesting that so many brands go on that scattergun approach. Because just based on that data, you would assume that your goal would be to keep someone subscribed for the maximum amount possible to give you the majority, uh, the maximum opportunities to sell to them. But instead, we see the complete opposite, where brands almost are trying to get people to unsubscribe by bombarding them with offers. <laughs> yeah, that's uh, that's true. I'm a I'm a big fan of email, and uh, unfortunately, people are 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 getting it uh, wrong. My my test would be to to simply look at your own emails, you know, to, yeah. to get them to get 
I, I've just had the chat with uh, with a brand that uh, sent five emails in the first two days. I think it's too much because it yeah. the, the the human brain is plugged so that it uh, uses the least amount of energy, right? So I'm yeah. I'm always trying because that's the brain. Brain is lazy. It should it shouldn't use energy which is not necessary because we are plugged in to survive. And in order to survive, because our ancestors wanted to run and to uh, to to have enough fat, you know, and and muscles so that they can escape yeah. from the claws of the tigers, they haven't allocated too much energy for the brain. So don't make me think. Principle says that don't send me five emails in the first two days because that means you're gonna use energy i'm gonna use energy just because i've bought from you one freaking i don't know t-shirt yeah and five emails <laughs> 15 years ago when you got you've got mail was a good news now you've got mail is a bad news because i have a lot of things to to tackle with i juggle with a lot of chaos in my life you know the bills the kids the whatever and if i have another email from the same brand it's not such a good news yeah, that's it's like that strange paradigm where the, the brands are scared to not email enough and be forgotten, but at the same time, it's getting that frequency right, isn't it? So you don't annoy someone so much uh, or get lost in the noise. But it's been a pleasure, Valentin. I appreciate all your energy and enthusiasm. I'm going to um, leave a comment on LinkedIn and tag you in this so anyone who's got any questions can follow up and ask, well, how can people contact you? Yeah, on LinkedIn. I'm a LinkedIn uh, fan. That would be the most sense, most logical thing. It's been a pleasure. Thank you very much for your time. I'm going to end this Thank now you. and I'll speak to you soon. All the best. Thank you.